This week's podcast does contain swearing, almost immediately in fact, so I would switch off if that's going to be a problem. Um, And it may be that the rest of the podcast doesn't actually contain swearing, it's all just in this bit about the swearing. Because last week I said, oh, there's no swearing in the podcast apart from one use of the S-word. And then it was correctly pointed out to me by several people on Twitter that I had overlooked some fucking. And that's not cool. You know, if I was on the radio, if I was on BBC Six Music still, that would lead to more than a stern chat after the show. It would probably result in the castle crumbling even further into the ground, in fact. But luckily, this is a podcast and I can do what the fuck I want. Here we go. I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton. I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this. That's the plan. Hey, how you doing? Adam Buxton here. Welcome to podcast number six, which features several conversations with an old friend, Garth Jennings. Now, if you used to listen to the BBC Six Music Show with myself and Joe, then you'll already know Garth, probably. He used to fill in for Joe every now and again when Joe was off doing his film things. And Garth was also a guest on my big mixtape show. He's one of those people a bit like Louis that I'm very lucky to have as a friend and uh, helps me out whenever he can with this kind of stuff. And it's always nice to see him and good to talk to him. For those of you not familiar with Garth, let me tell you that he is a film director. When I first met him back in 1999, what a year that was. (laughs) The explosion on the moon sent it out of Earth's orbit and it went spinning off with Martin Landau and Barbara Bain. But elsewhere, myself and Joe were preparing to make another series of The Adam and Joe Show for Channel 4. And we met up with Garth. We were hooked up with Garth by our then producer, Fenton Bailey. And um, Garth was then working on music videos with his company Hammer and Tongs, himself and his producer Nick Goldsmith and friend Dominic Leung. And they made some amazing music videos. One of the first ones I saw of theirs was the uh, one for Coffee and TV by Blur. You know, the one with the little milk carton. And since that, which I believe is now in the Museum of Modern Art in New York, they have a a uh, an exhibit there about the art of music video. And Garth's video for Coffee and TV is included therein. That's how good it is. And that's just the tip of the music video iceberg for Garth. He's done loads. He's done loads of really, really good ones. That's my considered critique. But he now works more or less exclusively in the world of feature films. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was his first foray into features in 2005. And he followed that up with a very different, much more personal and authored film, Son of Rambo, in 2007, which I was in, playing an angry teacher. I was brilliant. After Son of Rambo, Garth kind of wandered in the creative wilderness for a while, trying to figure out what his next move was going to be. I I don't think he would resent me saying that. But for the last, well, nearly five years, he's been working on a very big studio project, which he talks a little bit more about in our conversation. He's also written a book, a children's book, called The Deadly Seven, which we don't actually speak about, but it's really good. If you've got young children, I would say, some, you know, aged between about six and... 11 or something they would really enjoy it i i highly recommend it i'm going to do an audio book of it actually that's one of the things that i'm trying to do at the moment in my nutty room but anyway over the weekend garth and his family came to stay and we found some time to record a couple of conversations for the podcast we talked about how things were progressing with his film an animated film that he is making and we chatted about some of our favorite moments from other animated films well mainly toy story and its sequels We also had a couple of conversations on the way to the pub. One about the danger of getting together with other people's families, including an anecdote about a run-in that Garth once had with his father-in-law. Very enjoyable. And another conversation which actually might be useful for someone about uh, how to get into an exciting industry that you have no connections to. A lot of people approach Garth 
asking for advice for how to get started in films. People even ask me for advice sometimes, and I always find it hard to know what to say. Often it just comes down to a, a question of attitude. So Garth and myself talk about that. Anyway, here we go. It's quite a long podcast this week. In fact, it might even be the longest one so far. So perhaps you can enjoy it in several sittings. As I so often say to Santa, why don't we have a jingle? pretty great actually i've got a nice glass of wine here you've got your beer it's sure. very cozy there's something nice about being in a room that's soundproofed as well it does make it even cozier doesn't it it does doesn't it's it? all safe and cozy so you're here for the weekend yeah we've been coming to stay with you for probably what 10 years i guess on and off at least twice a year right we do a little buxton retreat because you live in the countryside and for us townies this is as good as it gets. Mm. And now you're not even an English townie anymore. No, I'm a French townie. I live in Paris right now. We moved there two and a half years ago because I am writing and directing a film for Universal Studios. It's a, it's an animated film with a company, Illumination, who made things like uh, Despicable Me and The Minions. Oh, and a few they've year- been doing well for themselves. They're doing okay, aren't they? And uh, yeah, so the team that made that asked me to write a film for them about we we met four years ago i met the head of the company just for a cup of tea literally just a cup of tea and talk about ideas and after that i said oh we had this chat about a certain subject and i was like I, let, let me write you a a little sort of synopsis an outline see if there's any mileage in it very informal so i wrote a, a few pages up for an idea and we sort of shared it and giggled about it and then i said all right do you want me to write a script and he says, yeah, let's write a script. So I wrote a script and then I did another draft. And by the time I got to the second draft, he said, uh, would you be up for moving uh, to Paris where the animation studios are and, you know, take your family with you and and come and direct the film? And uh, my wife had said to me before that meeting, because she has an ESP thing. She said, if he asks you to make this, just say yes and we'll just do it and see what happens. So I I said yes right there on the spot and then phoned Wazza after the meeting went he asked us to move to Paris actually, we, we could actually do this Wazza is your wife Wazza is my wife my lady wife Louise <laughs> Louise yeah she's, everyone knows her as Wazza yeah. it's a long story why that name is there but anyway Wazza said do it and then he asked me to do it so I said yes and and then a few months later we were we moved and um, it's it's been two and a half years now since we've been living there that's an upheaval though how many children have you got i've lost i've count. got i've got <laughs> i've got four sons and they're yes yeah. and they at the time you left were aged between about two and yeah one was 12 two. or something actually we moved on the two-year-old's birthday so he was three the day we moved on the day we moved and ah, oh, so what because now they're 12 10 8 and 5 it was it was a massive amount of naivety in terms of you know, we just thought, oh, this will be great. Yeah. No problem. You know, they're young and we'll, you know, we'll learn to speak French and all that stuff. And you don't realise till you do something as big as that, just how much you take for granted in your own life. Just knowing where them to get milk from or what time things are open or when something needs fixing, which it does when you move into a new place with no furniture, yeah. how much you need to work out and starting new schools. I just didn't realise. I didn't take into consideration just what a big upheaval that was also then your children going wait so you've taken me away from all my lovely friends to a place where i don't know anyone or what anyone's saying so there was a lot of stress and didn't you think there was a good chance that they might actually deal quite badly with it and get a little bit depressed and antisocial yeah again i didn't really think about that uh was as well was very very pro the whole thing let's yeah. just do it let's have an adventure she'd gone out and worked it all out because i was too busy just trying to make the thing work the story work so yeah we turned up in paris and this lovely 
place, a lovely part of Paris, and uh, it's just around the corner from the studios. The animation studios themselves are right around the corner from the Eiffel Tower. You know, li- literally come out the building, turn left, and there's the Eiffel Tower. So this is an American company, right? Yeah, they're an American studio. Illumination is based in Santa Monica in California, yeah. Los Angeles. Um, but all the animation, every bit of it is done in Paris. Why is that? Because they're just using French animators as sweatshop guys. <laughs> it's not. There's no sweatshop aspect to it. It's. I think there's a couple of things, or probably a few things, and I'm sure the boss could answer this better than me, but... He wanted to set up his own animation studio and he knew trying to set one up in in Los Angeles would be very difficult because you've already got Disney and you've got Pixar up the road and and DreamWorks and all these people have already covered it. So it's very hard to find a new team when everyone else has, all these other studios have absorbed pretty much all the talent in the area, right, in the country. So he was looking outside of America to find somewhere and... uh, and met with companies in England, I think, and met with companies in France, and just connected with this chap that ran a company called McGuff. And they didn't have many people there, and they tried to make a feature film, or maybe they had done, I don't really know the specifics, but they just clicked, so they put a, a sort of scrambled together a team of about 90 people to make uh, Despicable Me. And and uh, they so had some all off, French it, animators. Isn't it, it? The whole thing, all of the films are all done there, and oh. and they they brought in a, a, an American director called Chris Renault to work with Pierre Coffin, who's a French director, and the two of them sort of worked together to make that film, and then and then the team assembled around them. It's predominantly French, but there are a few American um, people, you know, a part of that team. But it's mainly French folk. It's now the team there now is seven hundred and twenty. It's huge. I mean, and again... Not all working on your film. No, no, I, but I've got about... I mean, it's over 100 now. It's, I, don't, I don't actually know. I actually have to take Polaroids of everyone that I'm working with yeah. and get them to write their name. And I have a whole wall in my office that is just the people I'm working with. So I can try and memorise their names between meetings. I can just look at this wall and try and go, that's Pierre, that's Guillaume, that's uh, Zeb, that's Pef. They all have weird names as well. They all have... They've like abbreviating their name. They're Zebe, um, you know, and... Uh, I just try and memorize everybody. Yeah. You know, it's almost impossible. And how long then does it take from starting work on an animated feature? This, this is going to be like a big sort of yeah. uh, tentpole animated feature. For it is. It is going to be a big one. Christmas um, 2016? Yeah, it's due for release. Now, the release dates can change sometimes, but it's technically... That's the that's what you're working towards. Yeah, it's uh, Christmas 2016. Right. 21st of December, I think. And, um, yeah, it's a big one. And you can't really say too much about the plot or who's in it and stuff like that because you're in, you know, early stages of production still, I suppose. Well, it's not early, actually. It's quite... L- we're quite far in. Uh-huh. You know, we'll be done on in animation by the spring next year and we'll have delivered the film by the end of September, I think, next year. Or me- at the beginning of September next year. Yeah. Um, and we've recorded almost all the voices, quite a lot of the music... Uh, and we're flying through the animation right now. It's looking amazing, but I can't talk to you about the specifics yet until it's officially announced, which could be any day now. Right. Um, it's weird. I, I mean, this is four years now since I met that, for that cup of tea, and to still be working on something where I can't talk to anyone about outside of the outside of the company about what I'm doing is quite odd. But you've got sort of A-list Hollywood talent in there. It's and, ridiculous. Yeah. It's it's really silly. Um, and they're brilliant. They're amazing. And how have you found it? I've got it? you in there as well. I'm allowed to say that, aren't I? Yeah. You're I've, in there. Of course, I've got to be in there. Dr. Buckles. I've been in all your films, haven't I? Yeah, I think pretty much. Yeah, no, because there's only been two so far. <laughs> <laughs> so that wasn't difficult. I wangled my way in there. Yeah, but you're in this one. I've told my story before of the um, dreadful audition I did for oh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, I, you know... I still have a soft. I still love you even more for doing that. For you those went of you for it. Who who never heard me um, telling that story? The the short version of it was that I when I found out that Garth was going to direct after years of being a wonderful music video director with uh, the company Hammer and Tongs, Garth then started working on these features, and the first one was an adaptation of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and I I got this was one of the first people i knew who was doing a big mainstream yeah. feature and i was pretty impressed slash envious because <laughs> i had it in my head then that oh i should be in films yeah oh, dr buckles should be in films. 
That's what I should be doing. Oh, yeah, that's right. I should, yeah. Well, Garth's a really good friend of mine, so maybe maybe I should be in that film. <laughs> and I sort of I sort of would say it and I was thinking I don't want to be I don't want to be too cocky about it I don't want to be like put pressure on God because that's not cool because we're friends on the other hand <laughs> I do want to make sure that I'm in the film so I yeah. would tease you almost every time that I saw you pretty much it did get to that point where I was like alright alright yeah, yeah, yeah. alright there was one time I remember your reaction it was like it was the the, the, the most um, tired laugh that I've oh, ever really? heard <laughs> <laughs> after one of my hey, hey. jokes it was like yeah <laughs> withering uh, yeah yeah okay whatever. we've done that one yeah and, and you're not gonna be in the film uh, but then you lined and I really didn't expect it you lined me up with an audition yeah find myself in front of Susie Figgis one of the most powerful casting agents around yeah and um decided that the and best she's thing she's quite to a do... handful as well she's no shrinking violet no she's intimidating yeah and uh, i turned up with a um a towel and a um bathrobe dressing, yeah, dressing, dressing gown because i because i was auditioning for the part of arthur dent which i really was not expecting or wanting because i thought well obviously i'm not going to play the lead all i wanted was like a few lines and i just thought damn it this is garth's way of no, ensuring that I definitely don't get this. Absolutely thing. the opposite. I was like, right, come on, have a crack, have yeah. a crack at this, because most auditions, when you think about it, loads of people audition for things and they don't get them, but they make an impression. Right. And Susie's, if you're going to make an impression with anyone, Susie Figgis was the one to do it with. Well, I did. Didn't you I? certainly did. <laughs> I did because <laughs> she said, "All right, should we have a go at reading? You know, we have you go in, you sit down." And as I say, I've told this story before, but you, you go and you sit down and um, and uh, have a little chit chat for a little bit. Yeah. And um, and then she goes, OK, well, let's have a go at the uh, at this scene. So I'm like, OK, just give me one second. Reach into my rucksack and pull out a bathrobe and put it on. Uh, uh, and uh, as I'm doing it, I'm sort of aware that it's not cool and that it's from Susie. Yeah, she's mainly looking at me like, what are you What are you doing? You know, I just said, let's start reading the lines and now you're reaching into your rucksack and putting on a bathrobe. Mm -hmm. um, and as I was doing it, I was thinking, this is weird, isn't it? Oh, I shouldn't be doing this. But then I thought, come on, be confident. Follow through, follow through. Follow through. <laughs> and um, yeah. so I put on the bathrobe. I, I do the audition to the to the best of my abilities. I, I thought, well, I won't, I won't be getting this, but, you know, I gave it a crack. And um, and she said, I think she said something like, well, that was a little bit better than I expected or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> a sort of like a poisoned uh, yeah. compliment. And yeah. then I said, uh, I, I, th I think maybe slightly encouraged by that, I said, um, it's probably a bit weird, me uh, having the bathrobe and the towel, I suppose. And then she said, put it this way, if you'd done that in L.A., you wouldn't work again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't agree with that. And then, I think and then you, Martin you... Freeman got it. And I thought, OK, fair enough. I was in Son of Rambo as a... Uh, you were in Hitchhikers, though. You were a, like a, one of the workers. At I was the a end, worker that... Restoring Earth, too, to its yeah. proper state. I... I pushed it down a plunger to create to, to make some mushrooms pop out of the ground yeah which just feels right sure and then <laughs> <laughs> i was like just give him something give christ him something so just he stops making give him that plunger jokes. do something with the plunger can somebody just help <laughs> <laughs> but then you were nice enough to put me in son of rambo um as a uh, now that was a proper part a Come shouty on. science teacher that was perfect one day no yeah. waiting around went in there had great fun I could do the scene. Yeah. You know, all it required was some, some shouting, which I can do. You are... I don't know anyone better than, at shouting than you. Um, You're the shouter. Yeah, I love to shout. I'm, a, I'm an angry, know-me little man. <laughs> and that's what the part required. It was a lot of fun, though, and it was great because you had to, ha at one point, have some scissors. It, you had to look as if you'd stuck some nail scissors or some hair clippers up your nose. Yeah. Because of the accident. Um, and... Um, 
you were very funny with that. And because then I, you just, gave us loads of different takes. I had to pull them out. Exactly, yeah. I had to pull them out. Now, of course, they weren't really up your nose. We had to put CG tips in. Mm. You know, we had computer-generated tips. my favourite kind of tea. That's yeah. what they drink in <laughs> post tips. houses, isn't it? I can't believe I set you up for that. CG tips. Now, uh, <laughs> you pull these out, these half half pair of scissors, and then we had to put the you know the tops on. Um but you did. You gave me such a load of different reactions. You gave me horrified to a level I've never seen before. Like I appalled, can do horrified, absolutely appalled. And then the my favourite one, which you didn't use because it was too much, but it was so funny, was that so appalled that you were going to throw up, and you were doing that face that one somebody does just before they actually throw, that sort of yeah, <laughs> which I think I probably just copied off Jim Carrey and Dumb. And yeah, Dumb. but it was brilliant. Uh, so we had a we had a I know I gave you everything I gave you my three faces <laughs> and shouting <laughs> the three faces I of Buckley's Buckley's give me your three faces and some shouting go action <laughs> <laughs> wow that was like having toast toast of London inside my nutty room there. Have, you, have you watched toast of London Matt well, Berry Matt Berry yeah. to- oh, he's basically if I'm if I've had an argument with Wazza it isn't that often, to be honest. Or if there's a bit of tension, I'll I'll go to that Matt Berry voice and start talking to her like that. <laughs> <laughs> just that, so because that and that for some reason just unlocks all uh, anxiety. Yeah, within but seconds you. He did that thing where he was doing like a nature. He was he was doing voiceover on um, uh, UK rowing. Did you see that one? No. Oh, he just did a voiceover for something like a an old piece of footage of men. Uh, you know, like the Cambridge Oxford Cambridge boat race, that was it. Mm-hmm. And he would talk about it, and he would say, "And this changed the face of UK rowing." And that, for some reason, made Waza just fall about laughing. So all I used to say to him, you know, we should be cleaning our teeth or something, and I just go, "Hey, was um, you know, it's uh, later. We should probably watch some UK rowing." And that would just get her get her in fits. He's got one of the great voices. It's the best voice ever. Hello. I'm Douglas Renham, and I'm not a scientist, but I do have a better understanding of what space is than any scientist living today. So we're walking to the pub, our local pub, for lunch, and uh, we've got all our children there up ahead, my brother is um, squadron leader. I have to say, your brother's been essential, really, hasn't he? Yeah, it's essential to have a brother who is mature, sensible, and single. Yeah. So it's a very specific set of skills that, that my brother has to like be good at his job and be a nice person and be popular with the children, but not such a well-rounded person that he'll attract um, a partner. Well, maybe this is a good <laughs> chance to set Dave up. You know, if anyone's looking for love out there... Yeah. And loves, uh, I think he looks quite like you. So, you know, they've got a rough idea of what he looks like already. Yes, he's he's younger than I am. Well, he's about four or five years younger than I am. Yeah. And he's like a, a bigger, taller version of me. Yeah. But he's an IT guy. Yeah. So there are some quite big chunks missing personality-wise. <laughs> Are you allowed to say that? He's only three feet ahead of us. He can't hear. He's surrounded by bracken and okay, it insulates. that's true. I'm insulates him from insults. A lot of if people you've... like that, though. They fight, they can fill in those gaps. I wonder if actually dates should be more like less about you know impressing people with what you can and can't you know what you can do, and more like look. Here's what I need. This is what I need. I'm here's missing, what's missing. Here's what's missing. Right? How do you feel about plugging that? Yeah. And they could go. Actually, I've got loads of that, so that'd be useful because I, I've got loads of that to spare. Like you're right. That's exactly what it should be. And instead, everyone focuses on what they have in common. Yeah. And oh, what kind of music do you like? Oh, oh no, that's yeah. slightly different to the music that I like. Yeah, no, no, no. It's all going the wrong way. Like I'm not going to be able to bear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're playing all that stuff and what kind of movies? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and actually, you're right. You should be going for someone totally opposite that you can actually stand to be with and explore in every conceivable way yeah for however long you're together yeah just are so you look, quite I'm, similar go on, to go on, your partner to, to louise Wada, to louise uh like she doesn't get too stressed out no, this is how it seems from the outside absolutely how it's is the truth she and doesn't get she's stressed. on a very even keel <laughs> yes and you are too but no, every now like and again that. you've seen me pop 
I've seen the top hat go on. <laughs> Victorian dad, get to your rooms. I've had it. Yeah, yeah, no, she's uh, remarkably laid back. Now, that can be infuriating at times, the whole thing about people's strengths being often being their weaknesses as well. Like, Wazza will be so laid back that time doesn't really matter. Right. So she does no problem, you know, being late for a plane or... You know. Oh, she doesn't get anxiety about that? No, no problem at all. Whereas I, I'm very anxious when it comes to time. I don't know why. How early are you going to get to uh, an airport oh, then? This, if you, this is my uh, dad. I mean, you're supposed to check in two hours before an international uh, flight, right? Yeah. That's still the standard. Yeah, but I've, I've been three hours before. Three? I know. It's pathetic. And it's, I get it from my dad, who has who is actually got worse, he would admit, as he's got older. He will have packed a week before he's going anywhere. He will leave. He'll say, oh, I've got a... If he's got a 12 o'clock flight or yeah. a train to catch, he'll be there at something like 9 or probably 8.30 just to be on the safe side. And it'll always be like, well, you, you know, there's going to be traffic that yeah. time of the day, he'll say. Or, uh, you know, there's been a strike in some country and that could affect things. And I want to be prepared. And he likes to be there with his book his cup of coffee he likes to be there early just sitting there waiting for it i'm a bit more like that but was so laid back she's the opposite and actually it's the perfect thing if you're going to have a big family you've got to roll with it and and uh and be better at sort of you know just sort of there's no the way you, a bit more right you can't control every single aspect and you've got four children four yeah. male children four males yeah so that is mental it's, it's ridiculous yeah uh, in a way, you're killing the world. <laughs> we are part of the reason. You are draining the world's down. resources. However, in your yeah. favour, I would say that you're both nice people and you'll probably raise good members of uh, society yeah. rather than deranged killers. Yeah, I definitely think we've, we've knocked all the killing off in the head. I think that's been extinguished, any chance of that. But no, they're, they're a good bunch. But it's been a real wake-up for me because I come from a tiny family. Christmas, for me, was about six people. And that was enough. It didn't feel like we were missing out. So it's just you and your sister? It was me and my sister, and then Grandma and Grandpa would come round. Yeah. And uh, that was it. Um, and then I'd go to Waz's house, and Christmas Day was 22 people around the, the table. What? And prior to that, there'd been about 30, I'm not exaggerating, about 30 just cousins. Just they're everywhere. Yeah. Because Waz is the youngest of five. So she's used to sort of a big, noisy mess and people coming and going at different times. And I'm more used to... I'm used to sort of things being on time and being nice and tidy. And as a film director, you're always trying to make everything work in the most economical way possible. So my day is spent sort of fussing over moments. And, of course, family is the opposite of that. You come home and it's just a free-for-all. So... Christmas time is so coming. Christmas, so Christmas time is coming, and we will actually go to my wife's parents for Christmas this year. It's a sort of tends to be an on and off thing. Yeah. And it's weird because I was one of those kids that you could, like, you could. I would always chat to your mum and dad. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I was brought oh, yeah. up to be, uh, you know, you'd say hello to the mum and dad. So confident, a confident little chap. Well, not so much confident, but just like I was a yeah, precocious little prick. Not, <laughs> <laughs> an annoying little bastard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah. No, it was much. It wasn't like hello. You know, it wasn't that. It yes. was just, you know, I would say hello and how are you and all that sort of. And and m- mums would go, oh, "Wasn't he nice?" Yeah. So why can't he be a bit more like that? You know, uh, it's all superficial, really. But it was, uh, it was just that I was just told and taught to be that way. So I've never had a problem meeting other people's mums and dads. And in fact, most of the time, I quite like it like i'm going to chat to your dad this afternoon it'll be great yeah but the only the one per the one mum and dad i struggled with was my wife's mum and dad who's her dad is quite he's a lovely chap i should start by saying he's a very very nice man when i first met him though just as we were walking down the path to their front door i said what's your dad's name and was my wife goes oh it's it's uh, caligula he's michael or michael whatever yeah so i go um hello mike and he shakes my hand. And he looks furious. You he went sort of, for Mike. Oh, it's well, no, because everyone calls him Mike. Oh, okay. Everyone, his wife, the, the milkman, everyone calls him Mike. Not me, apparently. I'm not allowed to call him Mike. He went into the next room, and according to was a sibling, said he just called me Mike, <laughs> and I had to call him Mr. Pring for six years. 
<laughs> six years. And it's so hard. So you... how did that um, filter back to you then, via was? Uh... I think it was his... That's a really good question. I can't remember because it's, it's 19 years ago. Yeah. But I think it was his... Uh, was his mum. So you said, I think it would be better if you called him Mr. Prince. Right. And Woz um, was... Michael's from... totally cool, but, but he was wondering <laughs> if maybe you could drop the mic. Yeah. Well, after six years, though... Wreck the mic. Don't check the mic. <laughs> after six years, I remember being there for a birthday of his, and he came into the kitchen and he said... All right, well, seeing as I'm, um, whatever, let's say he was uh, 70 or something. Uh-huh. See, uh, 70 now, uh, you could, don't have to call me uh, Mr. Prig anymore. You can call me Michael, but not Mike. <laughs> Did he say it with a twinkle in his eye? Nope. None twinkle? No, no twinkle. Mm. And it was all funny because the trouble is you can't call someone Mr. Pring in a normal conversation. Like, you wouldn't say... Oh, Mr. Pring, could you pass the salt? Right. It just is ridiculous. So you yes. just avoid the name altogether. Um, so it was a little bit tricky, and it's the only person I've ever had a, I'd say, proper lose my nut with, you know. Things came to boiling point. Yeah, and uh, there was this one holiday, we'd all gone away, and he can be, he can be a little bit heavy-handed, and well, what I noticed was that when I'd go back to their house for these Christmases, it didn't matter how old my wife's siblings were, or how professional they were, you know, there's doctors and surgeons and, you know, guy, guy that runs a string of pubs, I mean, they're all really bright professional people, but you get them back around the table, and it's like everyone goes back to being ten years old again, uh-huh. um, in terms of how they're seen around the table. Do you know what I mean? Yes. That those relationships are forged pretty early on, and it's very hard to change the way you're perceived within your family. Oh, God. Do you know what I mean? Completely. You don't get any respect. No. And... It, you, could, you could go to the moon. Your mum would still... You know, or some, someone in your family would still, still think you're an idiot. Definitely. You know, and that's fair enough. But it used to drive me mad, because I come from a family when, where people would... You know, where we'd stand up for ourselves if there was a bit of a fight or something. Mm-hmm. Not a fight, but if somebody challenged you, you challenge the hell back. So, and I noticed her dad would say things, and no one would... Yeah, quite spiky things. But he sort of would say things like, well, that's a stupid idea, or something, to one of his children. And I'd think, whoa, that was quite... That was a bit below the belt. And they would just quietly absorb that. Yeah. And so I I don't know where I have the... It's the only time I get riled is in that sort of situation. I remember being on holiday, and he made my wife cry because he said... He kept saying, well, I think your children's haircuts is ridiculous. And... uh, They look like girls. They look like girls, and... Uh, something else, and, and, and at one point she said something in return, and she'd used some word that provoked this response. That's a big word for you, Louise. Oh. So she cries. At that point, I have a Dr. David Banner snap. Yeah. And I like, can't stand for this. I go, no! And, and I go, no, 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 no! And, uh, and I actually genuinely don't remember what I said, but I do remember leaning across the table with my finger pointing right at his face. You unsheathed the finger? I've totally unsheathed it. Like, fully out. Finger out, interface, pointing and waggling. Mate. And, I'm, and I don't remember what I said, but I remember I was so angry and shouting and shouting and saying, that's it. But I do remember the aftermath, which was, I finished saying whatever it was I wanted to say, yeah? I was like, and that's enough. But I didn't want the dinner to go on for it all to be normal again. Do you know what I mean? I didn't yeah. want... Oh, well, gas to spit. And I said... And that's the end of dinner too. And the lemon tart had only just come out. Literally, it just arrived on the table. My poor brother-in-law, he just got it up to his face. And I just cleared the table. I just cleared everybody's plates, took them out of their hands, put all the lemon tart back onto one big plate and walked back out of the kids. That's the end of dinner. That's it. You're, you, no one's allowed to go back to it being nice after this, after what you did. Your children are not at the table at this point. No, they were young at the time. So how, many, how many adults are sat around? Six and one of my, one of my wife is crying now. She's crying and is she's she, are you crying. Getting, are you gr- getting the sense that she's crying with joy? Well, no, there's no joy. She's so proud. No, she's not proud at this point. We're all thinking, we're all thinking. Oh no, oh, oh Jennings is just. This isn't. You this know, is... it wasn't nice what Mr. Pring said. Yeah. But right now, Jennings has just blown it. What he took it too personally. I took it as an attack on my lovely wife, who's amazing, and she didn't deserve that. So I went for him. And cleared the plate so no one else was allowed to have a nice time. No either. lemon tart. No lemon tart. No tarto citron for you. 
And uh, what you should have done is you should have taken all the lemon tart <laughs> and then eaten it in front of them. <laughs> this, by the way, Yum. this um, is delicious. <laughs> um. <laughs> yum, yum, yum. Yum. Yeah. Yeah. Yum, yum, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I wish I'd done that. You never do the right thing in the moment. You never even make it put an eloquent sentence together. So I don't. you you are shaking at this point. Shaking with fury. You know, got that breathing going on like you've been crying, but you haven't been crying. You've just been so furious. Yeah. Your voice is all wobbly. And then you go out to the kitchen, you put all the plates down. And what, what, what is um, Dr. Pringles doing about this? Uh, silent get up from the table. By the time I came back in, Everyone had gone. Ooh. Yeah, everyone had gone to their rooms. So that wasn't great. And here's the weirdest thing. Immediately afterwards, as I'm sure you can imagine, I'm regretting it like mad. Mm-hmm. Even though I think, damn you for saying those cruel things. Yeah. And being a bit of a bully. In well, my man, opinion. that was some righteous indignation on your part. Well, you don't make your daughter cry and, and, and just, you know, anyway. So I'm getting a bit upset. But at the same time, I think, oh, I've just, it's only two days into a, I know, an eight-day holiday. Oh. Uh, that's not great timing. Where were you again? Oh, it's Portugal. Portugal. There's no escape. It's not like we could pop home. You know everyone's in their respective rooms, either cleaning their teeth or talk, whatever, talking to their partners, and you can just feel the... Blimey, that, what an idiot. He blew up there, didn't he? What about the tart? What happened to the lemon tart? You know, all this sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, delicious. But the most amazing thing happened to Zoe. Obviously, he was, was upset, and she was upset about what he said, but also saying, oh, I wish you hadn't said that, and I completely understood and I was saying I am sorry the first thing I'm going to do in the morning is apologize to everyone yes. so I was up at some ridiculous hour because I couldn't sleep I felt terrible about having uh, uh, reacted the way I did at the same time still like oh but he deserved it yeah, and, no roughy um, that night no no roughy no no roughy no chance of that yeah. no so I'm waiting there for everyone to come down and first of all was a sister comes down the next morning it's about six o'clock or something we've all got babies at this time so Rachel her sister comes down I go oh Rachel I'm so sorry about last night and I could tell she was a bit like you know oh yeah it's alright which meant yeah you overdid it right it was her way of saying yeah you went too far with the whole clearing of the lemon tart but let's just pretend that didn't happen Uh you know that may not be what she was thinking but that was the impression then her husband came in I said listen John so sorry about losing it last night and he's like and he's chuckling going oh shame I was getting into that lemon tart there and he's Irish that was why I did that voice that was accurate that was not bad was it you were were straight back to Ireland I felt like I was in Ireland (laughs) so John's come in yeah and he's sort of funny and he's on my side he's very sweet and everything and then Maureen comes downstairs. Maureen's my mother-in-law. And I'm thinking, this is the one. This is the person I'm afraid of because yes. she's, you know... She's the matriarch. She runs the show. Yep. So down comes Maureen. And, I, and as I'm saying, I literally meet her at the bottom of the staircase. I go, Maureen, I am... Just about last night, I'm so... Before I can finish my sentence, she puts her hand on my arm and says, quietly, I only wish more people would stand up against Mike. And walked off. I was like... That I did not see coming. And she walks off to the kitchen like, that's, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Whoa. You know. And then Mike comes down. Yeah. And he is my best friend in the Shut world. Shut up. He is, hello, good morning. I'm, and I'm staggered. I'm like, good m- morning, Michael. I'm sorry about last night. Oh, <laughs> laughs that one off. And then can't say enough about how, how funny the children are and, and avoiding all mention of their ludicrous haircuts. He was right. Their haircuts were ridiculous. They looked like sort of... They looked of, great. They looked like they just stepped out of Vice magazine. Yeah, but they were only like two or three years old. That's <laughs> ideal for Vice magazine. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it worked out. It did work out. I was pleased afterwards. But, uh, yeah, it's amazing how you can suddenly find yourself from nowhere on a holiday with a lemon tart sitting in front of you, suddenly waggling your finger and screaming at somebody. Uh, Two days ago, I was uh, sent a really short email from a guy that lives across the street from me. So I hardly know this guy, Mm -hmm. but he sent me an email saying, my wife's secretary's daughter would like to do work experience at your company and these are the two weeks she wants to do it in, oh. <laughs> just in the run up to Christmas. Just laying out his just terms. That, just that. That yeah. was it. No, not even a dear or hello or anything as if he'd typed it with his thumb in the middle of doing something else. Uh-huh. And because I get these things all the time and I am more than willing to help the enthusiast or the people trying to do their stuff. I will always help if I can but you've got to at least show a bit of willing. Yeah. So I wrote back and said 
Uh, if, if or a this... bit of willy. Yeah, show a bit of willy. One or the other. Just show a bit of willy. No, I wrote back and said, um, just ask your wife's secretary's daughter to write a letter. Don't expect things to just be handed to you. Yeah. That's the worst work experience you could give anyone. And do, do you know people... what I mean? The job itself might be fine, but you will have learned nothing about how to get it. Yes, because that's half the struggle, isn't it? Yeah. What's your policy on reading people's scripts? I bet a oh, lot of people send their scripts Yeah, to you. they do. And again, most people are, again, they're just trying to get started. They don't know how to get going. A brother or something of somebody that worked once at our company is no longer there had said, oh, I have this you know, connection to you via someone who used to work at the company you're at. Can, would you be up for reading some of my scripts? And I, was, I wrote back and said, look, I, I'll do my best, but I'm not the best at giving story advice. I tend to write for myself, and I, if I give notes, it ends up becoming something I'd do rather than you would do. You know, right. I'm not the best at that. But, but I can always be enthusiastic, and if, I, you know, if, I, if there's anything I can help with, I will do my best. And they sent me five scripts. Oh, so I did write back to this person, who's very nice, and I said, look, it's quite a lot. Being a script reader and giving notes, that's a full-time job that people yeah. are employed to do, right? Yeah, and I don't take the note-giving bit uh, lightly. I, I think that's quite important that if you're going to give somebody advice or notes or whatever, and it especially if you useful. don't know them, you better get it right, because mm. you don't want to steer them in the wrong direction. And Anyway, so it's quite a tricky one. But I don't... do you... Um... Presumably these days as well, it's quite dangerous in the film world to read people's scripts because people oh, are you know so what? litigious. That's probably a really good point. And I probably shouldn't read them anyway. Yeah, because they come out uh, a few years down the line and they'll yeah. say, hey, you st- I sent you, you my totally script and stole you stole my idea. Yeah, I should probably be more sensible. You know what? From this moment on, I'm going to start a new policy. Well, at least that's an excuse you can give them. Yeah, it's true. I can say, look, I don't take unsolicited scripts. If you want me to read them, send them via, I know, my agent or something. Yeah, we're coming up with a good plan here. This is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what is the best way, though? How did you um, break in? Did you ever do that? Did you get a a leg up from someone you knew? No, we had no... I grew up in... um, in Epping in Essex and there's no showbiz in my family I mean it's a, it's a great family but my dad worked in a bank the closest we got to being in anything you know connected to anything theatrical was the fact my mum used to do design the windows at Dickens and Jones which used to be on Regent Street but that was it my school I think we were the first GCSE year and it seemed that along with that, we got this thing called work experience, which up until then, no one had really heard of. So roughly what, what uh, date was this? 87, 88. Uh-huh. Somebody came into the school and said, right, we're going to do this thing called work experience. And you all had to fill out a questionnaire, which basically involved ticking boxes, things you liked, things you were doing OK at school. And that was given to a computer, apparently. Well, I can't imagine what kind of computer it was, but apparently it went into this giant computer and the computer went, this is what you can expect to do for the rest of your life. <laughs> you got this sort of printout. You did on, like, telex paper. Yeah. Of careers... Ingested into the ZX spectrum. Exactly. The spectrum spat out your future. And it was in the form of a grey list of jobs. And I remember getting this list. And everyone was excited because you got the, oh, the computer's given us a list of things that we can do for, with our lives and it came back and it was the most depressing list of my life um, uh, only because nothing that I wanted to do was on that list yeah. not even close it wasn't even like oh well that could lead to a good thing it was rubbish anyway so you had to take that list to the careers advisor teacher person I don't know who she was the Korean advice teacher the, <laughs> she was Korean and uh, yeah she said uh, all right, well, we looked at your, your thing here, and as you like drawing so much, what about the town council planning office where they do a lot of drawing? Hey, you know? hey, hey. And you could help with the photocopies that they do there. I'm drawing in the town council planning office. Exactly. It was like a good time. Well, you know, it's very hard. I mean, there was a new system, and also, I mean, what do you do with Yeah, well, that's a, I mean, that's a perfectly uh, yeah. decent job, but maybe not the most exciting. No, so I, I went home that night, and I was all cheesed off, and my dad came home from work, and he's sitting at the table. He goes, what's up with you? Ah, oh, I've got Chris advice thing I'm going to work in the town council offices for three weeks if they can get me a job there you know if they can get me and he's like oh well, what do you want to do and I said well I'd, I'd like to be a rock star I genuinely <laughs> said that I'd like to be in a band or something well, you're he's not like, embarrassed to say that no no I just I was like well that's what I'd like to do and he goes and he sort of laughs he goes yeah well you can't do that 
but good, you could. Good for you for saying. But he did go. He said he goes. Uh, but maybe we could um, write to one of those re- recording studios. You know where they re- actually record the songs. Maybe you could do some work there. Uh-huh. And uh, the whole time I'm thinking, nah, it's never going to happen. Good for you. So dad. my dad goes, come on, let's write a letter. And he made me write this letter out three or four times because my spelling was always quite bad and my handwriting was wonky as hell. So he made me write this thing over and over again until it was really nice. And we sent out 50 copies. And you were excited, though. You were up for this plan. I was really up for it, because Dad has an infectious enthusiasm. Once he's got the you know, bit between his teeth, you're off. It's yeah. happening. And back come 50 rejection letters. So that was a great first lesson. Are you yeah. bummed out at that point? Yeah, was, yeah, of course. I was thinking, oh, no, That's that. That's that done. And Dad goes, no, there's one here that was quite nice. They said no, but they've also given you a list of other places you, you can consider. That's the weak one. Hit them again. <laughs> so, so, so we write another letter. Again, I'm sort of rushing it a bit, and he makes me rewrite the thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, a rejection comes back. Uh, at this point, I do give up and feel really just cheesed off. And uh, apparently what my dad did then was, at his lunch break, he rang up the head of the personnel department at this recording studio and said, look, he is a dog's body. Just take him on for a couple of days. If it's a problem, send him home. But otherwise, you've got free labour for three weeks. He'll be great. That's it. And the woman's, woman just gave in to him and said, all right, all right, OK, send him up. So... Dad comes home and goes, you're starting work at uh, CBS Recording Studios Whoa. next week. Uh, better get you a travel card. So I was delighted. And CBS was, this is before it was bought by Sony. And it was on, I think, Great Titchfield Street. I might be wrong about that. But it was a spectacular recording studio. It wasn't any, just any old recording studio. And you had bands like, uh, what do we have coming in? Well, George Michael would come in and do a remix of one of his tracks. I remember Junior, Pepsi and Shirley. Junior. Junior. And Mama used to say, he was so nice. Pepsi and Shirley came in and I really liked them. They were in Wham, weren't they? They were the backing singers in Wham. Right. Yeah, Yeah, they were the the girls with the top knots. But when you're 15, and up to that point, you just assume that the entire entertainment industry, the thing you're most obsessed with, is just done by other people. Not people like you, it's just other people that do that. And then suddenly you're in it. Even at a super low coffee-making level, uh, you realise that everyone there is just a regular person and they just got into it, A, because they loved it, and B, they just sort of kept on banging on the door. And so you had a good, positive attitude? Yeah, I was the sparky guy. You weren't, like, like, sitting around and sighing whenever they asked you to go out and (laughs) buy some tea bags? No, I honestly felt... Uh, like it was a gift to be there like sure. I was almost in fact I was almost probably a bit too cautious I would stay out of everyone's way and make the coffee and then quickly leave the room yeah you know like I just felt like ah the whole time I really shouldn't be here I remember this one guy who's probably a booking agent or something somebody worked in one of the offices upstairs and he saw me go past he goes oi oi come here listen to this and it was the new Smith song I can't remember which one it was but I know it was the Smith he goes listen to this and he presses play on a tape recorder and he plays a Smith song. My full God. blast. And he goes, they're the best band in the world, aren't they? And I go, I don't really know the Smiths. He goes, what do you mean you don't know the Smiths? You've got to know the Smiths. Even old people like the Smiths. I remember him saying that. And it was just amazing to go home thinking, that's what these people do all day long. People that absolutely loved what they were doing. Yeah. And um, so I didn't end up going into the music business, but it did make me think you should definitely have a shot at doing the thing you like doing. Yes. And not necessarily take that piece of paper you got given um, too seriously. You know, that was quite a, a downer, getting that bit of paper. Yeah. And I think it's probably the same for a lot of people. The getting, the, tr- getting the bit of paper that said... Yeah, aim here's, low. Here's the jobs, right, aim low. Aim lows, you know. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> yeah. If you're lucky, it's the town council planning office for you. I always find on sets, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not on... Uh, film and tv sets very often at all but the times that i have been i'm always impressed by the the sparky ad or yeah. the runner who's just totally on it you know yeah it's so easy to stand out yeah in those situations oh my god but yeah. you know and that doesn't mean to say that you can't screw up every now and again quite massively but if you've got no one an cares attitude, if you've got the right attitude yeah yeah you, if you're just like if you're clearly on it and want to do a good job that is so yeah. valuable and yet there are always people on these, you know, you're, on, you're in Pinewood or something, 
and there's some runner who's like everything's a drag. Yeah. And oh, do I have to? And it's like, yeah. oh my god. You like, man. There's so many other people that would love that. I job. think that those people tend to be the ones that got there too easily. Right. Like you say, I mean, we had someone once give us a CV that was a. It was like a colour swatch that you would get from a, a paint shop, uh-huh. you know, when you're choosing your wall colours. And it was various shades of brown, starting with very, very light through to deep, dark brown. And next to it, it had, it had the names like... Had names like... Uh, it's a code weak, brown. Weak, uh, builders. It was basically different types of tea. And basically, the CV was on the back, you know, what this guy had done. And yeah. just, by the way, I make great tea, so just tick the colour you like, and I'll make sure your tea comes... To you, that colour, every you know that that strength every time, oh. and and on films, film sets kind of run on tea. Yeah, and even though it was just a bit of a bit of a laugh, it was such a sweet, clever little thing to do. And the effort that had been made meant that that guy just got went straight to the top of the pile. Yeah, um, and it's amazing to me now how many people that were runners or assistants on our sets to begin with are now not only you know the top of their game, but producing big movies now and. You know, really, really very successful in, the, in their field. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's lovely. It's great when the, the good guys win. Well, moving from one subject to a different one. This is a conversation that we're having talking fun. You're the first guest on the podcast to actually be in my sound booth. It's really nice being in here. And I, I have to say, I think the podcast is a smash. And I'm not just saying that because I'm sitting in front of you. I think quite a lot of our friendship has been you know backing each other up when things are down or like encouraging each other when we're getting started on something and definitely as your pal now i would say keep going you know don't take any criticism too much because <laughs> i know you you know we're you know there's a lot of feedback you get a lot of feedback whatever Did you, you do. hear me um ranting at the about the guy that sent me a message the other day yeah yeah and automatically i want to run to your rescue and go don't worry about it it's fine ignore it are you thinking don't talk about that not don't talk about it because i know i think it's funny that you talked about it and i I, and john was very funny on that subject as well but i'm i'm terribly protective of you if you get if you because i know you'll you'll read that feedback and you will squirmy mind you'll you'll go there you know and it's one of the good things that you do is you take on board what people are saying and you you know to try and adapt or like take it on board but sometimes i just i want to just bowl in and say stop what stop reading it don't listen to them keep going what do you like then on the on the criticism front i mean obviously the first film i did hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy i had the rough with the smooth there because we had lots of people that loved it and still send messages and things and and other people the one guy wrote like a ten thousand word essay i'm not exaggerating apparently a ten thousand word essay on why it was so bad and um so that was actually it was brilliant to start with that in many ways because that sort of taught you everything you need to know about how to handle opinions and which ones matter and which ones don't so I feel pretty robust because, you know, the next thing we do is going to be launched in quite a big way and I'll be judged, you know, in a, accordingly. But I feel very happy about it all. But uh, and, and the nice thing about animation is you really do, or well, there's millions of things that are nice about it, but, but one of my favourite things is the fact that you get to press every button. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I loved about films like toy story or finding nemo was the fact that you could have something really funny really inventive moving and everything it could be it could really be everything man i remember the first time i saw toy story me and joe went to see it and it was one of those moments when i, I was talking to leanne le havis in the uh, um i love that podcast early on, and we were talking about prince and and yeah. I, I was saying to her that one of one of those moments that i had where you just think oh this is this is a thing I'm witnessing yeah. something special and revolutionary was when I, I saw um, the video for uh, Alphabet Street. Yeah, I uh, remember for, that. For the first time. And I was like, oh, my God, this is special. And then when me and Joe went to see Toy Story, I remember having that feeling as well. It's like, oh, OK, everything's... That's it. Something's changed. You start, I mean, I was so... I, w- I was with you when, you when you were talking about Prince with Leanne Le Havis. I was reminded of the fact that I was such a huge Prince fan that I was part of the Prince fan club. So much so that I know for a fact that if you freeze frame some of that Alphabet Street video, you can see a little message from Prince that says, don't buy the Black Album, I'm sorry. Shut up. Is that true? That's absolutely true. Yeah. That's how deep I was into Prince. I went to his gigs. I caught his towel and it's still, I've still got it and it's got brown foundation makeup. 
there's like a smear. It looks disgusting because obviously it looks like he's wiped, he's wiped his, his bottom. <laughs> but it's uh, but I kept it all the same. But it's actually just fe- like a, a. Have you a, still got that there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not around. I think you know what you know. I stored a load of stuff in your barns. Yeah, it's in one of those boxes in God, your barns. I'm gonna rifle through. <laughs> you should have a rifle through. But make sure it's the prince towel and not the other towels. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow, that's good. You should you should have that under a. A glass jar. You know, Mark Maron has um, President uh, the, the the cup that President Obama drank from. Oh, I do the same. Um, in his, uh, when he was on the podcast, uh, the WTF podcast, he's now got Obama's cup under a glass jar. Oh, I would do the same thing. I really would. Uh, if it was Prince, not many other people I would do that for. Yeah. Well, you see, if I uh, do this podcast long enough and get enough respect, yeah. I'm going to get David Cameron in because that's... The, yeah, that everyone, everyone will be so excited. Yeah, so will he. Yay! Buckles has got David Cameron. <laughs> yeah. I'm so happy for it's him. It's so funny when you think about the English equivalent of what yeah. Mark Maron's done. You know, he gets Obama in, Obama walks in and he's all fabulous. Could you imagine Cameron coming in here? Cameron comes in, uh, we have a light, silly chat, then he sticks a private part of his anatomy in a coffee cup and I, <laughs> and I, keep, That's right. That's... I keep that under a glass jar yeah. for the rest of my life, showing it off to people. So your children are going to be excited seeing your movie. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? They're going to grow up thinking that this is a normal job, whereas I grew up thinking this was an extraordinary job to have. You know, I you didn't think you know someone working in the movie business was an ordinary thing, but yeah, uh, they're even going to play little parts in the film. Hmm. They're little voice parts. Not big ones, but loud ones. That's great. Yeah. What were their favourite animated films when they were little? Uh. Well, when they were smaller, definitely Toy Stories. All the Toy Story movies. I remember taking Oscar and the kids to see Toy Story 3 and Oscar just sobbing through the end. Toy Story 3, and I think I have, again, spoken about this before, but Toy Story 3 has that scene where they all believe that they're going to die. Yes, and um, they're sat there and they're oh. going towards a furnace, aren't they? Yeah, the flames of hell. They're going to be engulfed by the flames of hell. And they, they hold hands and they look at each other and they and the, and in that moment it is understood that this is that it. This is it. Yeah. It's, and they're actually go, they've come to the end of their lives. It's amazing. And um, it's really extraordinary. It's it like just being punched in the chest. Well, what's lovely... To see it in, in a children's film, A, and, and, and also to really... Have that kind of terror, and then and then a sort of peaceful acceptance. acceptance. Well, it was the it was the fact that Woody's scrambling; he's desperately trying to sort of find a way out still. But when he looks up at the others, he sees them all looking at him with these sort of solemn expression on their faces, like "Just stop, Woody! Just stop!" And he looks at them like, "No, no, no! You can't give up now!" And then they take his hand. And then they all hold hands together, and that they even have like the sort of bell ringing, don't they? In the score, isn't it going like dong, dong? And then they're holding each other's hands and closing their eyes, embracing themselves for for the end of their lives. And it's the most unbelievable thing in the world. And if ultimately you're leading up to one of the best reveals ever, which is that the claw comes back, right? And it's operated by those three little guys that were saved by the claw, or two little guys. The claw. I mean, what? That's just so brilliant. That is next level brilliance, and you know, and and the fact that my lot, my all my children respond to that, and I respond to that in the same way makes me so happy. It's so lovely to be able to share a moment. Now, of course, they receive all those signals on a slightly different level. They haven't lived, uh, you know, they're not forty three years old and has seen a, as much as I have, but still, they just feel it. It resonates in a way, and that's so lovely to share with your children and then in Toy Story 2 as well you've got that song oh, oh that kills me what, Jessie's song I mean I, when I've, she loved me yeah I've, I can't actually speak about it no because it's one of the things that actually just always makes me cry yeah it it does and it's weird I don't know if you find this but the more the older I get the harder it is to stop myself <laughs> uh, I, if I watched it now I would start crying yeah and I think it's part it's it, it works on so many levels it's like so it's um it's this Jessie doll and she used to belong to a little girl and the little girl has discarded her um for for, for another yeah, toy right yeah. same sort of thing in, as in Toy Story 1 but she sings this song 
and it works as a as a kind of lesbian love song as well well wow, i never thought of it in that way but but the fact that it's so from the heart and so yeah but deep. it it works in every way but and i think you can you can read it as a yeah. straightforward gay song about having right. your heart broken yeah and um it works completely on that level well that's randy newman's genius as well because even though the idea and that point in the story is a great beat of the story it's yeah. a fantastic beat to have but he i may be reading too much into no 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 well you you may have done but the fact <laughs> is that it's it's so i mean so eloquent and then uh what's her name that's a singer called sarah something anyway it's you know when somebody loved me everything was beautiful you know and you're going to have that all taken away by the end of it and that this this little toy is now phobic is now is suffering from anxiety based on that separation she's still traumatized by that and that's it, massive amazing and it works it works though as a, a, as a song of heartbreak from the point of view of a child and its parent yeah and also the other way around a parent losing touch yeah. with its child yeah and uh, what it's like to be a parent and 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 not always be able to have your children close to you or god forbid lose them all together you know yeah them not need you anymore yeah. that idea of you know she's just kind of let go of not thrown away in an, in an angry way it's just left by the side of the road yes and she's going to live her life and it's inevitable it's not like a shocking surprise how terrible it's like no that's what happens and um that's that's profound on so many levels you almost don't know what's going on with your brain when you're watching that for the first time you're like uh, uh, help This is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. I love browsing your videos and pics, and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members area. And spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com slash Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code Buxton to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace. Yes. Well, that's pretty much it for the podcast this week. Thanks very much indeed to Garth Jennings. I'm sure Garth will be popping up in future episodes of this podcast. I don't exactly know how things are going to go with the podcast at the moment. I am spending a lot of time on it. And I do have other professional and um, personal commitments that I should probably spend a little bit more time on than I have been. Maybe. I mean, this podcast is now hosted on the Acast platform currently. And one of the reasons I went and joined Acast was to see if they might give me a bit more organizational support. Maybe further down the line, find me a sponsor. And then I could afford to pay a producer and just tighten up the efficiency of the whole podcast operation. Get some different guests, uh, a wider variety of guests, that kind of thing. So that would be good, wouldn't it? In the meantime, I'm uh, chungling along on my own. Chungling? What's chungling? Maybe Alexa Chung chungles, but I'm not going to start chungling. I'm just carrying on on my own. And uh, you can find out more about this podcast, a little bit more. I do a blog post about it every week, which sometimes contains links to some of the things I've been talking about with my guests. I've got a blog, I've got a blog. Rudy, Rudy, Schmoody, Rudy, blog, blog, blog. I've got a blog. Here's the address, here's the address. It's adam-buxton.co.uk, so check it out. There you go. And the blog is a good place to leave comments about the podcast or anything else, if you wish. Uh, you can also leave comments on my SoundCloud page or get in touch with me on Twitter 
at Adam Buxton is my handle. Just looking at my blog now, in fact, approving a few comments. Here's one that's just come in. This is real. Naturally, like your website, but you have to take a look at the spelling on several of your posts. Several of them are rife with spelling issues. And I, in finding it very bothersome to inform you the reality, then again, I will definitely come again again. I think maybe that's spam. But still, nice comment. So what else can I tell you before I wrap up this week's podcast? There won't be a contrived comedy bit at the end of the podcast this week. But by way of uh, apology for that, here's a little insight into my exciting professional life. Yesterday, I got an email from my agent about a uh, an advert. And I've been approached to be in on screen in an advert like... Uh, you know, I do the occasional voiceover for adverts, as I was saying to Rob Bryden last week. But I very seldom appear on screen in them. I, I always feel like that's, that's... I mean, that's more of a commitment. You're you as you endorsing a product rather than just being an actor providing a, a voiceover for an ad. That's the way I think about it anyway. So you have to consider those things a lot more carefully. The money's a lot bigger when that's the situation. So that's obviously tempting. But here is the key line in the email that made up my mind for me. And it says, We've done these commercials in several different countries now, and most of the time we've gone for someone quite young and good-looking. So, as much as I like Adam and his enormous beard, it will be a slightly different approach we take if we were to use him. Smiley emoticon. That's nice that he had the smiley emoticon there at the end. But who knows, maybe in six months you'll be watching TV... And the ads will come on, and one of them will have an old, ugly guy with a giant beard on it. And you'll know that Buckles has bought himself a, a gold swimming pool. Please take care. I love you. Bye! Bye!